Starfleet slunk from its duties, and I was not prepared to stand by and be a spectator. You're a stranger to history. You're a stranger to war. Just wave your hand and it all goes away. Well, it's not so easy for those who died. And it was not so easy for those who were left behind. We're down here. What is this? The Vintage Picard Podcast. It's um, discussion, analysis, debate about Star Trek Picard. All right, good. It's really quite exciting, actually. Very good, fine. I'll listen. Engage. Welcome to episode two of Vintage Picard. It is our brand new podcast all about Star Trek Picard and Star Trek at large, covering everything that you need to know then you probably don't need to know <laughs> that comes through our heads about Star Trek. So if you are new to the podcast, which is not unlikely since this is only the second episode, I will introduce myself. I am Gary McComiskey, a longtime Star Trek fan, not somebody who knows every tiny bit of Star Trek minutia, but somebody who's been passionate about the franchise and specifically about the next generation for many, many years. And of course, I have a faithful co-host here on this podcast. Introduce yourself, please, sir. Thank you, Captain. I'm James Sajazi, and yes, I too am a lifelong Star Trek fan, but uh, I know even less than the American Rhino, so just bear with us. But that doesn't mean that I love Star Trek less than uh, you or the American Rhino. The American Rhino is uh, me, by the way. Yeah, he's, sorry. Uh, he's he, old habits. James and I also host a hockey podcast about ball hockey called Hit the Deck. It's hockey in sneakers. And on that podcast, I do mainly go by the American Rhino. But on this podcast, I shall go largely by my own self, which is Gary. And aren't you lucky? So, uh, James, before we continue, before I press on with this podcast, because there's so much to cover. Oh, Star Trek Picard is out. Episode one has launched and it is so good. And I want to talk about it. But first, I want to nip this captain stuff in the bud right now. Like, uh. I don't mind if you, you use it once or twice occasionally, but like, I'm not going to be Captain Gary, okay? I haven't earned my Starfleet commission or any other commission for that matter. I'm just the guy that's going to do probably most of the talking. So we can leave that right there. C Commander? Yeah, I just, just Gary is fine. I, that's, I never that's called by your first me. name. All right, fine. I'll try. But uh, anyway, thank you for not making me give you my agonizer. We are not five minutes into this podcast and we're already bickering like an old married couple. So, uh. Good for us, I guess. Maybe maybe not so much for you, but I guess time will tell. You don't want to hear us talking about this. You want to hear us talking about Star Trek. And I think since first impressions are important, I think we should jump right into the Star Trek. So let's jump right into that Star Trek. Let's do that Trek or what have you. So, um, oh boy. So news. Report. Okay, so there is some very important news that came out prior to the launch of the first episode. So I'm going to pass it off to you in that self-same order. Now, a few weeks ago, we found out that Star Trek Picard, before it had even premiered for its first season, 
had already been renewed for a second season. So if you are excited about this show, if you like it, if you like what you saw from the first episode, you can look forward to a second season of this show. And you can also be confident in knowing that the producers of the show think it's good enough to warrant a second season based on what they've seen so far without even seeing a single rating for one single episode of the show. So, you know, there's there's a certain comfort in that kind of confidence. And the second bit of news is that for that second season, there was a, a kind of a, I wouldn't call it a spoiler or an official announcement or anything, but there was a very sweet moment, something that we can look forward to. In promotion of this series, Patrick Stewart was on The View. And of course, one of the cornerstone members of The View panel is Whoopi Goldberg, who of course played Guinan on the original uh, Star Trek, the Night. I was going to say the original series, but it wasn't the new. Although her character was old enough to have, I'm never mind. So who played Guinan in Star Trek, the next generation. And so he was on Patrick Stewart was on and he told her that he came with a very special invitation for her from the producers of Star Trek Picard. And he wanted to extend her an invitation to come be a part of the second season of Star Trek Picard. And she, she was, was knocked over and she went over and gave him a hug. And he said, please say yes. And she said, Oh yes, of course. Yes. So, uh, and, and she was rendered speechless pretty much for the remainder of the segment. And so you could tell how much that meant to her and how much being on Star Trek again meant to her. And and it, it really was a very sweet moment. So if you are a fan of Guinan and particularly a fan of the Guinan-Picard relationship, then it looks like we have something really nice to look forward to for season two. Something else that was very sweet. So, oh... Oh, James, I'm just going to jump into it. Like there, there's, there's a ton of stuff that I could talk about just in the run up. We talked about a lot of it last week in our first episode. And if you haven't checked that one out, you know, it, it might be worth it to listen to it just to get a refresher on everything that happened leading up to the first episode of Star Trek Picard, everything that happened between Nemesis and now in the, uh, in the, I think it's now been confirmed in the show as in universe being over 20 years, over two decades. I mean, that's the math lines up there, but technically what was said was over two decades, but regardless. So we're right in the ballpark there. But, um, so you might want to check that out. But in the meantime, I, I'm, I'm vibrating with excitement here and I, I, I imagine that comes through a little bit, but I'm going to jump right into the recap and discussion of Star Trek Picard season one, episode one, Remembrance. I could tell. So, oh, James, this episode opens. Uh, um, mm, if, 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 if I can't even talk, I'm so, oh, the, the first minute of this show was like they said okay you'd like star trek the next generation you're here for star trek the next generation boom this is what we're giving you the first minute or so was just beautifully rendered like what they can do with computer graphics now is you know i think it's well established as being remarkable but just so 
So it's it's scenes of space, uh, just kind of shots of space that are are gorgeously rendered and they're very reminiscent of some of the shots in the beginning of the next generation credits during the space, the final frontier part. And uh, you don't, you don't get like planets spinning off through the solar system, but you get, you know, nebulas and, and, and kind of just gorgeous space scapes. And finally, not finally, cause it happens fairly quickly, but we jump to a kind of a far off shot where you can see the enterprise D flying towards what looks like a nebula. And then, Oh, it's the money shot, James. And I say it's the money shot because that's about how I felt by this point in the show. Just, just like 30 seconds in you cut to a head on shot of the enterprise D gorgeously rendered in what I assume is CGI. I mean, it could be a model. It could be a, 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 a absolutely beautifully rendered model, but I doubt they would spend the money on that for two shots so i'm gonna assume it was cgi but oh the cgi was so well done it's the enterprise d flying head-on straight at the camera and we we only get a couple of seconds of it unfortunately but the camera flies up towards the saucer and right through the windows of 10 forward where we see jean-luc picard playing poker at a table in 10 forward with data. Oh, I, oh, mm, gets me right. As the kids would say, right in the feels. Oh man. I can't like, I can't get over it. It's, I know it's silly and I know they were pandering specifically to people like me to elicit exactly this reaction, but bravo job. Well done. You know, take my money. Cause that's, that's what I'm here for. And, and that's what I got. So, you know, good on you. So anyway, He's at this uh, this table in Ten Forward, all by themselves, completely empty, quiet, dark. Just the two of them at this table in Ten Forward, playing poker. And Jean Luc, if I can be so uh, so brazen as to call him by his first name, Picard is in just kind of a civilian outfit. He's not in a uniform. Data is in the movie era uniform, kind of the one they. They also went to in the latter days of Deep Space Nine, the mostly gray with the kind of the discipline, the color on the turtleneck and kind of some piping on the sleeves and, and whatnot. That one. So uh, they're playing poker and there's some talk about Picard talks to Data about he's like, oh, I figured out you have a tell you. You dilate your left eye ostentatiously and you want me to think that's a tell but the real tell is that you don't have a tell so when you're not doing anything at all i know you're bluffing and data's like well now i don't know what kind of deception to employ now now one very interesting thing i don't know if this was an accident or if this was on purpose i can't yet discern why it might be on purpose so it could have just been an accident but Data used a contraction during that scene. And of course, you know, longtime fans of the series will know that Data, one of his major drawbacks as a positronic Soong type android, I shouldn't even say that because Lore had no problem doing it, but Data was unable to use contractions. So the fact that he did it in this, I don't know if that means something or if it was just an oversight on Brent Spiner's part. There is actually a, uh, I don't know how famous it is, but there's a funny kind of nitpicky thing that happens in the episode Data Lore, where we first in um, 
I think it's the first season where we are first introduced to Data's evil brother, Lore. And the the main difference between the two of them, aside from the fact that Lore is a sociopath, is um, the fact that Lore was capable of using contractions and Data was not. So Lore tried to impersonate Data and he got caught because he used contractions. And at the end of the episode, after Lore has been switched off and Data has been restored to his proper place, Data is speaking to somebody and he actually uses a contraction <laughs> which uh i mean oops mm-hmm. so it could have just been a mistake and it's probably something i'm focusing way too much on but i thought it worth noting so anyway then data bets it's data's turn to bet and he bets uh quite a large bet and captain picard captain i guess admiral admiral yeah. uh, well he's admiral in the show right but in this scene data was I think calling him captain. I only watched it three times. I should have written it down. But so I'm I'm gonna I'm just gonna say Picard. He says here, large bet, and Picard says, Oh, that's that's all I have. And so he goes all in, and then Data lays down five queens of hearts, which is obviously, I don't know, maybe symbolic of something, but maybe we'll find out, maybe we won't. I don't know. But uh, so then suddenly the Enterprise is right at Mars, which Picard is confused about. And then Mars starts getting littered with explosions. And Picard looks back and Data is gone. He's disappeared. And then the whole of Mars explodes. And Picard wakes up in his bed it has all been a dream and he he is he's being nuzzled by his pit bull number one and he reassures number one that everything is fine and he gets up and he goes to the window and he throws it open and looks out on a vineyard a beautiful working vineyard with people in the fields uh i guess tending the grapes and some kind of flying sprinkler vehicles and and we see the caption Chateau Picard, France. And so that's uh, <laughs> that's the big opening scene. That's our first introduction to this show. We cut to Boston. I guess I was going to say modern day Boston. It's not modern by our standards. It's, you know, Earth Federation 2400, whatever Boston. So Boston and a smallish apartment where we see a young woman who, frankly, to me, gave off real Winnie Cooper vibes, but uh, from the Wonder Years, your mileage may vary. And she is named Dodge, as it happens, and she is celebrating with her Zahian boyfriend. And what they are celebrating is her admission to the Daystrom Institute. She is going to be a specialist in artificial intelligence and quantum something or other. I don't know. Technobabble. Uh, she's going to be, she's going to major in Technobabble at the Daystrom Institute. Congratulations to Dodge for that. You, um, good, good on you. And so the boyfriend gets up and he's going to the replicator to get a milkshake or something to celebrate. And, and then as he walks past the flowers, there are flowers in the room and the pestles, I don't know. Grammar school science was a very long time ago. The, the little, the little, uh, the dangly bits in the middle of the flower, they, they start to retract into the, the different, you know, the, the, the individual flowers and, and danger. It's a, it's a subtle signal of danger. 
danger. At least that's how I interpreted it. Maybe they're just shy. And then suddenly three like special ops looking helmeted dudes beam into the apartment and immediately hurl a dagger into the heart of the boyfriend, killing him instantly. And then uh, they they all grab Dodge and they hold her down onto the floor. They pin her down and they put these little what is assumed to be mental probes on her forehead and they're scanning her and uh, they, they say, oh, she hasn't been activated yet. And then they, they pick her up and they're like, where are the rest of you? Where are you from? Where are you from? Tell us. And so finally they decide, all right, we're just going to take her and we'll, we'll continue this later. They put a hood over her head and then like everything gets still and she she you know you get the sense that there's been a very like born identity-esque switch flipped in her and suddenly she jumps up and starts like beating the snot out of these guys and uh like, oh she's activating she's activating and and like she is able to very quickly and terrifyingly murder the three of these guys in quick succession and then she's horrified at what she's done and 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 she uh she she doesn't really understand what's happening and then so before we cut to the next scene the last thing we go out on is her getting a very brief kind of vision a memory or or something a flash in her mind is the implication of Jean-Luc Picard and I don't know if this was intentional or just something that happened or maybe it's just they decided to dress it this way as a nod but it doesn't actually mean anything but behind Jean-Luc Picard as she's seeing him in this vision there are four lights so that was kind of cool I don't again I don't know if it means anything we'll see but uh, or maybe we won't I don't know <laughs> this is the first episode I have no idea what they're gonna do <laughs> but I'm down for the ride so we go on from there and we go straight into the credits. From there, we jump straight into the credits. And it's always interesting to see what the credits of a new Star Trek series are going to be. So far, they've all been instrumentals except for Star Trek Enterprise. Or actually, it was just called Enterprise, right? I don't think there was a Star Trek label affixed to that. So that one, that, that one was a little bit controversial in that that theme song was a real song that had lyrics. Faith of the heart. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to bring up old bad memories if, if you're traumatized by that show. But um, this this was another instrumental arrangement, a, a, a string arrangement, very classy, as you might expect from Star Trek Picard. And, you know, the, the graphics were top notch. It started out with what kind of looked like a sliver of glass falling from the sky, tumbling down past the vineyard into... Uh, what what seemed like the rendering of a Borg cube, which kind of gradually but quickly transitioned into a solid, real-looking Borg cube. And then it falls down into the Borg cube deeper and deeper. And then eventually it transitions into what appears to be cells dividing and kind of generating themselves into a DNA strand. And, and, and several DNA strands that wound up kind of moving out in a circular pattern, which eventually formed an eye. I assume it's supposed to be Picard's eye, but you know, who knows? It's an eye. And then that eye kind of very, very quickly and very briefly flashes into what, to me, looked like the ocular implant of a Borg, like uh, a la Locutus of Borg. And then... 
from there, it quickly transitioned, like the the red of the I-beam transitioned into Mars exploding. And the the pieces, some of the pieces, the debris, the detritus of Mars kind of tumbled and like formed into Picard's face uh, or like slotted themselves into holes in Picard's face. And then it kind of closes out on a shot of Picard, which transitions into the show's title. And then we kind of zoom through the title into just space scenes over the rest of the credits so or under i guess the rest of the credits so that's interesting like it's very if you've watched discovery or short treks it's very much in keeping with the kind of theme sequence that they've been doing with these star trek shows on cbs all access so i guess they have a very specific design sensibility that they're sticking to although this has been a lot more colorful i guess for want of a better term than those other sequences so it's something that i'm probably going to need to get used to especially since there's no you know space the final frontier which i'm i'm i I so closely associate with jean-luc picard obviously he's no longer the captain of the enterprise so there's you know no reason to have that but you know it's it's again it's something that i'm gonna have to get used to it's not bad it's beautiful it's just a little different from from what we're used to seeing. It's a little more trippy than your average Star Trek intro. But um, so any any questions so far, James? I don't have questions, but uh, I'll throw in my opinion here. From Please. what you're saying, yeah, that opening sequence sounds amazing. And I'm going to be quite honest with everybody out there that I do not have CBS All Access. I can barely afford cable as it is. I mean, you know, cable companies are complete ripoffs and whatnot. But having the nerve of uh, other entities like Disney and whatnot that you have to buy certain apps just to watch certain programs, I just simply can't afford it. But I cheated a little bit that I watched online Will Wheaton hosts a show called The Ready Room, which is like a you know video version of this podcast. So it's all like a preview and, and a breakdown of the episodes and, and so on and so forth. So obviously that's only aired once. So we'll see what happens in the future. But to answer your questions or your speculations of that opening sequence, which I did see on uh, 10 Forward, which I felt the same exact way, was so excited to see the D and they went right to 10 Forward. So excited to see Picard and, and, and Mr. Data playing poker and in that ready room sequence they uh had the i believe it was the director and the writer of picard and that's what they were saying that what we were discussing on vintage picard in episode one that was basically like the last time you saw the next generation tv show was captain picard playing poker with his crew as you described and then yeah the next thing you see in, in Star Trek Picard is Picard, <laughs> Admiral or Captain or whatever, playing poker with Mr. Data. So I personally think that was all done on purpose. And I love the fact Absolutely. that... Well, there's, what I'm, there's I'm no getting, chance it wasn't done on purpose. I'm getting to the point there where right. that's setting up to, to everything. And, and the thing that I really appreciated about it is that finally that people that are in charge of Star Trek and, and I mean, Paramount has done such a horrible job with keeping the franchise going and people, too many chefs in, in the kitchen and all that. Give the fans what we want. And that's what Picard seems to be doing right now. And, and if anything, if that's the only time we see the D and the only time we see Mr. Data, I'm hooked. It, it, the very least, they knocked it out of the park and, and it was beautiful. It's exactly what we were hoping to see. They got it. They understand it. And that, that's what I love. So I appreciate that. 
And as you noticed that Mr. Data used a contraction as we were speculating what happened to Lore before and all this other stuff. So obviously, uh, to me, I think that that's a nice little Easter egg and something done on purpose. And you being highly intelligent and being the true Star Trek fanatic that you are, you picked up on that. So I appreciate that as well. So I think that's uh, another well done piece. The intro sounds extremely interesting too. They talked about that also in the ready room with Will Wheaton, that the conductor and writer of the theme song wanted to incorporate Captain Picard's at the time Captain Picard's uh, flute. So they they put uh, that that instrument in the in the music and acknowledging the previous uh, Star Trek themes and things. So it was really very well done, and and it was done from the heart. And again, giving the fans what we hope for and what we want, and that's all you can ever ask for. So to actually deliver that is fantastic. So well done. It's living up to the hype in uh, episode one. You haven't even gotten past the first quarter of it and it sounds so exciting and well done. Yeah, we do have a lot to get to, James. And, and, and let's jump into it because, you know, that, that as you said, we've only just begun. So post credits, we see Picard, the retired admiral, uh, we, we will come to find. We see Picard walking through his vineyard with his pit bull, number one. And just an aside, the reason that his dog is a pit bull is because Patrick Stewart demanded sounds kind of diva-ish, but he insisted that he have a dog and that it be a pit bull because he is an advocate for pit bulls. He believes that they are a misunderstood breed and that while they can be vicious, it's only if you have a vicious pit bull, it's because you have an owner that has trained his dog or her dog to be vicious. And so they, they don't deserve the rap that they got. And so he, he wants to advocate for these animals. So that's why number one is a pit bull and, and so on and so forth. So just a quick aside there. So they're walking through the vineyard and the dog has killed something and has it in its mouth. And Picard starts speaking French to it and is basically there's subtitles. He said, oh, don't pretend you don't understand French. We've practiced. And they come upon two Romulans. Now, uh, this is shocking to, you know, or I guess it's supposed to be shocking to anyone who didn't listen to our first episode last week and doesn't know who these Romulans are, because if you did then you will know that in the prequel comic to this series that they are Tal Shiar agents, former Tal Shiar agents who had broken away from the Romulan Empire and kind of went with Picard because they turned their back on the Romulans and they had nowhere to go. So that is the same two Tal Shiar agents from the comic, and that is Laris and Jeban. And they seem to be his friends and kind of his his helpers. They they treat him with a deference of employees, but they also have a little bit of irreverence of old friends. So uh, that, that's that seems to be the relationship that they have. And so uh, they they go inside and Jebon seems to be a chef in addition to all the other things that he might or might not do for for uh you know Picard I feel so irreverent myself calling him Picard all the time like I'm uh, just like like he's nothing but I don't want to call him Jean-Luc because you know we don't have that relationship he's I could call him the admiral but he's retired so I don't know it's going to be a weird thing that I'm going to have to get used to I guess <laughs> It's appropriate to refer to him as Admiral. That, that's fine. 
Like if 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 this show was about Riker, I would have no qualms about calling him Riker or, you know, LaForge or well him I'd call Jordy probably. I don't know why it's not like we're on a first name basis, but that's going off on a whole other tangent. But you you get what I'm saying, right? There's a certain air of dignity and of uh kind of respect Absolutely. that that Patrick Stewart and this character in particular command. Sir Patrick Stewart. Sir Patrick. Yes, <laughs> of course. Sir Patrick Stewart. So I, I feel like it's put me in a weird position, but uh, that's maybe that's just me. No, I but agree. So, so anyway, he goes in and he goes over to the replicator and he orders tea, Earl Grey, decaf. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's 20 years older and a man of his years, probably, uh, he, he needs to make certain concessions, I guess, about what he ingests. So I, I think it's mainly to kind of show the passage of time more than anything to throw something to the fans, but also to, you know, say, oh, this, this isn't the Picard that you remember, <laughs> which is a big theme that I think based on interviews and, and things that the, the producers and the cast have said, that's a big thing that they want to hammer home, that this is not the Picard you remember and not the Federation that you remember. And, and, and many things have changed in spite of all the familiar trappings. So that's something to keep in mind as we go forward, I guess. So it comes out that today is the anniversary of an incident, a traumatic incident from the past. And if you listened again, if you listened to our first episode, you will understand that it was the, the, the Martian incident. But for those who have just come to this show, watching the show with no preamble, then it's just something happened on this day a number of years ago. And a news crew from FNN is uh, coming to interview him ostensibly about what we learn was the Romulan supernova, which was, I hate to keep throwing back to it, but we covered a lot of this in depth last week. So I don't want to go over the ground too much, even though it's, you know, essentially there was a supernova of the Romulan sun that wiped out Romulus and many other planets in their empire. And so this is something that Picard apparently, uh, the Admiral, has been advocating about for many, many years since it happened, that people understand the ramifications of what happened and the effects that it has had on the Federation and, and on the galaxy at large. So that's what he has come to understand is the intent of this interview. Jeban has assured him that he has impressed upon the interviewers three times that they are not to bring up his retirement from Starfleet. It's, it's not a topic that can be discussed. It's, it's, it's off the table. So, of course, when they sit down for the interview, that is something that very quickly gets pivoted to. But not before we see a very sweet montage. It's brief, but while the interviewer is introducing Admiral Picard, there are a bunch of still images shown from the uh, Next Generation era that we would be familiar with. The first one is uh, him with Worf in like ceremonial Klingon gear or garb, I guess would be a more appropriate term. I assume that was when he was his uh, Chadich. Was that, is that correct? Yeah. So, and then there were, there was another image from, you know, of just him and another one, I think from 
the wedding scene just of him in that in that like dress uniform that uh, movie era dress uniform from nemesis and uh, yeah it was it was it was a nice little thing so as i said they start off talking about the supernova and then quickly pivot to talking about the real trauma that caused admiral picard to lead starfleet but not before we receive confirmation on something that was a big question mark, not a big question mark, but a question mark that we inquired about amongst ourselves on the last episode. And that is where in France does this uh, Chateau Picard reside? And I can confidently say that it has been confirmed that Chateau Picard is located in the bar, France. So, you know, we have that going for us. <laughs> um, and uh, it's reassuring. It is reassuring to know that Picard has kind of settled down to his homestead and his ancestral lands, I guess, if you want to call it that. Because, uh, as you'll remember, after the fire that occurred in Generations, his family was killed and presumably there was much damage done to those properties. So we weren't sure if that's where this was going to take place. It is, and uh, all may rejoice. So anyway, back to the interview. Back to the, the, the interview that goes horribly, horribly wrong. So it quickly devolves into a bit of an antagonizing conversation on the part of the interviewer about the wisdom of attempting to relocate the Federation's oldest enemy to save them from, from their impending supernova. And apparently the Federation was not at all on board with the plan of, of saving them. And Admiral Picard was the one who swayed them in that direction and caused them to agree to do that, to try and evacuate as many Romulans as they could. Because, you know, at the end of the day, as Admiral Picard argues, they're not Romulan lives, they're just lives. You know, when something like that is on the line, you don't worry about, you know, the wrongs that the other side has done to you in the past or how you may have looked at them in a political light. You just consider the fact that these are people that need help and you have a moral obligation to help them if, in fact, you are to live up to the ideals that you espouse and uh, claim to have. So that pivots to the uh, the real trauma we find out, the reason that Picard left Starfleet. And he, he eventually is badgered into admitting that the reason that he left Starfleet is over the aftermath of the incident that they are celebrating the anniversary for. Now, from the description in the show notes, in the, the Star Trek Picard show notes, uh, we are led to believe that it was 14 years after the incident. And the incident, in fact, is an attack of Mars by a group of rogue synths, synthetic life forms, rogue synthetic life forms. And so this attack was apparently quite devastating, and it resulted in the death of. 93,143 people in and around Mars because it wasn't just the Utopia Planitia shipyards that got destroyed in that attack. It caused all of Mars to be devastated. And in fact, 14 years later, Mars is still on fire from the attack. So 
it was quite the catastrophe. Now, James, there was something that I considered bringing up on on last week's podcast, on our first episode, when we were talking about this, kind of what was hinted at, and I didn't want to bring up, but I feel like I kind of have to, and that is the fact that one thing that we discussed early in the podcast is that in the prequel comic, Star Trek Picard Countdown, it was established that the person overseeing Utopia Planitia was Commander Geordi LaForge. So it's somewhat dubious as to his fate in light of this attack. Now, I don't know if that's going to be an additional source of guilt for him going down the road. Hopefully Geordi made it out, but, you know, with so many casualties and, and specifically concentrated on that facility, I don't know, man. <laughs> no, I know. I know. I don't want to think about it either, but it's something It's something to keep Let's a move kernel on. Let's of. Move. No. Just in case. All right. All right. James wants to move on, so we'll move on. Thank you. Yeah, all right. And so the target of this attack, I, I think it seems like the target, obviously Mars as a whole, but Utopia Planitia is where the rescue fleet, the Romulan rescue fleet was being constructed. So when that attack was carried out, it also destroyed all of the ships that were supposed to evacuate the Romulans from Romulus and the surrounding planets. So in the wake of that attack, it seems like Starfleet did a complete 180 and decided to abandon the Romulans to their fate, leaving the 900 million that the Federation had promised to evacuate, and presumably more, because planets tend to have more than 900 million people on them. But I'm assuming that's all that the Federation could, you know could promise given the the time constraints but i'm getting bogged down in something that wasn't clearly established but uh anyway they decided to turn their back on the romulans and kind of turn inward and lick their wounds and so the romulans were left to their fate and that is in fact the incident that caused jean-luc picard to resign his commission and go back to his vineyard because he felt that if they did not want to live up to the ideals that they had sworn to uphold, then they were no longer Starfleet and he no longer wanted to be a part of it. And so that's, I guess, that's one theory of mine that was disproven from last week that I had said that I thought that the Mars incident probably took place after the Romulan son and after he had already retired. It was a guess on my part based on very specious uh, <laughs> suppositions. But um, that was incorrect. In fact, that it was reversed. That was the inciting incident for him to retire. So, you know, that's on me. And it seems like in the wake of all of that attack and all of that ruin, the Federation and I, it's, it's implied the galaxy, although I don't know how you know, all these nations would come together and come to the same conclusion in the wake of a very specific Federation-based attack. But it's implied that synthetic life was in the wake of this banned entirely. Nobody is allowed to to create synthetic life anymore from any any race. This has a kind of a Blade Runner uh, tone to it as well. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, yes, that, that's that's true. I can see that. I can see how you would say that. As we go on... And, and and talk about a Q 
key plot points in this episode, I think your theory will will maybe get even bolstered a little more. But I am getting a little bit ahead of myself. Before I move on, there is one other thing that just kind of jumped out at me from the interview. And I don't know if I'm reading too much into it, but one thing that Picard said, one of the lines that he said when he was admonishing the interviewer for being so callous about what happened is, The galaxy was mourning, burying its dead. And I I don't know if that is indicative of a larger attack either by synths or, you know, some other race. You know, there's there's one enemy in particular that they will hint at being a factor in this show a little later. But yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe that's just me not considering the ramifications of the whole galaxy, seeing this and saying this could happen to us too. But I don't know. It seemed like something bigger than just this one attack, because while 93,000 people is a terrible terrible loss you know when you're talking about races that have suffered wars like the dominion war and the borg attacks of the of prior years you know it 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 seems like one incident like that i mean we've seen episodes of star trek and deep space nine where entire planetary populations have been wiped out so this one thing doesn't seem like it would have the kind of weight that would get the galaxy's attention but Again, I guess we'll find out. So this interview, uh, Picard gives this speech about how they don't care about the truth and and how they have no respect for history and all that and kind of ends the interview abruptly. And we cut to Dodge watching this broadcast in the rain and then to a commercial. And when we come back, Picard is, is kind of out lamenting his plight with number one out in the vineyard when he is happened upon by Dodge. She, she comes to the vineyard and seeks him out. And she, she says, do you know me? She wants to know if he knows who she is. He doesn't. He says he doesn't. She's like, look close, look, look really closely at me. He doesn't know who she is. Uh, and, and she knows that he's, he's not certain if he's met her before. She doesn't know how she knows, but she knows something's changed in her. She's, she, she's scared. She doesn't understand what's going on. She thinks he might have the answers because something in her, everything in her is telling her that he is a man that she can trust. He is perhaps the only person that she feels entirely safe with. And she doesn't know why. And he doesn't know why. But that's why she she comes to his doorstep. And so he invites her in. They talk. She's wearing a necklace, which is a silver necklace with two interlocking rings. And Picard asks if he can see that. She, of course, hands it over. Uh, and And... He finds it interesting and hands it back. She doesn't put it back on. She leaves it on the table and they talk a little more. Ultimately, he offers her a room for the night and a place to stay while while she gets sorted out because he feels like she feels like she's in danger. And she is so convinced of her circumstances that he has no choice but to help her. And so um, he he hopes that, you know, together they can they can figure this out. but. That's something for tomorrow. So um, we then cut to a shot very similar to the beginning of the episode where Picard is getting out of bed and he walks over to the window, throws open the curtains, and in the distance in the vineyard, he sees Data painting. And so 
he goes outside. Now, it is important to note, at least important to me, I don't know how important it is for the listener, but I find it important to note that Data is now in his next generation television uniform. So um, the, the timeline of Data's uniform has, has gone backwards. And so Data is in this vineyard under a tree painting, and he seems to be painting a woman in a white covering, I guess, uh, kind of like a hooded cloak, a white cloak. And um, the face, the face is not filled in, but everything else seems to be intact. And we see Picard approaching. Now he is back in his TNG captain's uniform and he's approaching Data and Data asks if he wants to finish it. And he says, I don't know how. And Data says, that's not true, sir. And Picard kind of starts to half smile and get a look of understanding. And he reaches for the brush and he wakes up. He's been asleep on his desk in his study. And so he wakes up and he turns around and in his study, hanging on the wall is a painting very similar to what Data was painting in his dream. And he's he's struck with inspiration and he knows he has to go somewhere and check something. But before he can do that, Laris comes in and she says, Dodge is gone. Bum, bum, bum. Her door was open. The dog was sleeping on the bed. She gone. So he says, okay, well, I have to go somewhere. If you see her, if she gets in touch with you, please contact me immediately. But in the meantime, I got to see a man about a horse. Not literally, but that's the, you know, that's an expression. I got it anyway. So he, he, we cut, he goes to San Francisco. He goes to the Starfleet Archives Museum, which you know, I guess is a thing. And it's a very interesting bit of technology. He's kind of accompanied by what looks like a computer hologram who's explaining things to him and having a conversation with him about, it seems like in this future of Starfleet, I don't, it's not made clear who exactly gets the honor of having their stuff stored there, but he at least maintains an archive of his personal possessions there that I guess go in quantum storage, which I'm assuming based on what happens and the kind of the art design that they get shrunk down to a minuscule level somehow and or stored in some kind of transporter buffer. And when they're needed, they are taken out and rematerialized or enlarged or what have you. So the person who owns them can access them. So he goes into his, you know, personal vault or what have you. And oh, James. This is, it's not quite as special as that opening thing, but it's close because he walks in, there is a, a model of the stargazer sitting there. There is uh, on the wall, there's a Klingon dagger and a Batleth. There is a model, a small model off in a nook of the Enterprise E. There's a, that book that he had in a display case in his ready room. That's in the corner there. Oh, James. The sign from Captain Picard Day that's hanging in his archive space. Oh, oh, that sentimental fool, Jean-Luc Picard. We always knew you had it in you. There's the captain's yacht from the Enterprise E. There's a model of that. I don't know why, but there is. And there's this beautiful, large scale model of the Enterprise D that's hanging on the wall. And what he went to see, what he came there to see is he recalls from the computer, which uh, materializes something on the table, a painting, 
a painting that was gifted to him by data. It was it was part of one of a pair, the other of which is hanging in his study. And it is a painting of the same woman, except now you can see her face. It is Dodge. The painting is of Dodge and the painting data titled Daughter. Dun, dun, dun. So, James, that, of course, makes us consider, is this a LOL 2.0 situation? Is this some secret child that Data made away from the prying eyes of everyone else that only he knew about? I guess we'll have to find out. (laughs) We'll we'll just wait and see as the episode goes on, because we don't get a definitive answer, but it gets hinted at. So stay tuned, listener. One other thing before I move on, the computer index, the holographic computer person that he calls up for information about the painting she tells him that it was painted circa 2369, which is not a star date. It's an actual year. So I have to wonder if the Star Trek production staff has decided to move away from star dates because they're a little confusing. So that's just something that I think we should keep in the back of our minds for for the time being. Anyway, so we go to commercial, we come back, and we see Dodge calling her mom. And she 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 calls her up on the phone on like a pad or not a pad, but like a holographic thing that pops out of her wrist or whatever, like a wrist computer. And so she calls her mom. She's like, mom, I'm freaking out. She tells her she thinks someone's trying to kill her. And her mother is like, okay, you need to go back to Picard. He'll protect you. And she's like, well, I never told you I went to Picard. And she's like, oh, I mean, sure you did. Uh, How else would I know? And she's like, no, I definitely didn't. What's going on? And then her mom kind of does this like, you need to focus on my voice kind of hypnotizing deal where uh, she she basically brainwashes her into, you know, dropping it and going back to Picard. And so then Dodge drops the call and pulls up a holographic computer interface and she start her fingers start flying at like data super speed to you know, affect some whatever she's doing with the computer thing. So, uh, you know, she's she's pretty, pretty confirmed at this point to be some kind of Android type deal. So uh, that that's interesting. And then we cut back to San Francisco. I have to assume that that was the previous night that they showed us out of order because the next scene is back in San Francisco as Picard is leaving the archive and she is there. So it's suddenly jumped from day to night back to day. And unless he spent the night in the archive, it doesn't jive. So there we are. And so she meets him and he's like, hey, so little bit of information you might find interesting. Uh, so I think that you are actually Data's daughter. And she's like, no, I am not a crazy homicidal freak robot. And he's like, no, 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 no. You're, 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 you're not, you're not, you're something very special. I think you're something very special and you're in, uh, she's in denial, but he's trying to reassure her and convince her. And fortunately, Uh, She doesn't have to dwell on it too long because she senses an impending attack. 
another attack and Picard is in danger. So they rush up to like to a rooftop. I don't know why they go up to a rooftop instead of running for the nearest transporter, but whatever. Uh, it's not my show. So they run up to a rooftop and then three more of these helmeted special ops dudes beam in and she, you know, feeds them their lunch. Like she, 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 she beats the dead into them. And then, like, another one appears and she goes running and does a huge, like, really unrealistic jump, long, high jump up uh, uh, most of a set of large flight of stairs. And she takes that guy out and then she takes out the next two guys that beam in. And finally, one last guy beams in and she's able to incapacitate him but not before he spits what looks like acid on her and she starts to actually dissolve as well as the phaser rifle that's sitting next to her and as she is dissolving and screaming away there is a giant explosion that knocks Picard back and knocks him out into a commercial or at least it is a commercial if you were watching on the tier that i was watching which is the one that includes commercials if you pay a little more on cbs all access you can have it commercial free but i do not so i get those breaks but uh so when we come back to the show we come back to what really for me is the biggest question mark and and the only part that i think might have been a misstep and that is the montage we come back to a montage of basically the events of the first half hour of the show, or at least, you know, highlights of the first half hour of the show. And the reason I say this was a misstep is because I watched this show three times. Every time I watched it, I saw this scene. It was right on the heels of a commercial for me. I thought this was a commercial for Star Trek Picard. Like it was cut together like a commercial. And I had to remind myself, oh, no, wait, this is actually just part of the show that they're reminding me what just happened in the last half hour, as if I am brain damaged in some way and cannot remember. So I feel like that might have been a mistake tonally and, and just practically, but that's really my biggest gripe with this and my only real gripe with it. Anyway, Admiral Picard wakes up on a couch at Chateau Picard, and we come to find out that the police found him on the rooftop and presumably delivered him home. That's not outright stated, but it's implied. Uh, Laris and Jebon are tending to him, and they're explaining to him that the, the police found him, and he was all alone, and they checked the security footage, and it showed him running, but nothing else. It is speculated that perhaps Dodge had a cloaking device, even though, as far as I know, that's not how cloaking devices work. We could see her. He could see her. Everybody could see her. They said, oh, well, maybe she had a cloaking device that masked her signal that was activated instinctively. Uh, and it's like, I don't I don't think that's how this works. But, you know, again, it's not my show. It's not my universe. I'm not going to go too deep into it unless they go into it later. But. That's for another episode, I'm sure. And so uh, he's like, hey, guess what? Dodge was an android, but she's dead now. So I failed her. I failed everybody. I'm really just kind of worthless. And I've spent all these years just not not living, just waiting to die. And basically, he, he implies that he needs to make a change in his life. And so he heads off to the Daystrom Institute. The Daystrom Institute 
you might remember from earlier Star Trek incarnations is the Federation's premier robotics and science institute. It's basically the future MIT and also the place where Dodge was admitted uh, ostensibly as a, you know, I guess undergrad or a grad student. I'm not really sure. I guess grad student anyway was admitted at the beginning of the episode and they were celebrating. Yeah. So it's all, it's a, it's a callback. It's a, it's a callback is what it is. And so he goes there and he meets this doctor. We'll call her Agnes because that is her first name. And so he asked her about synthetic life forms that can, you know, be passed off as organic. She's like, no, that's really impossible. We're a thousand years out from that. And he's like, well, that's funny. Cause I was just having tea with one of them. Uh, I don't think you're correct. Well, let's, let's, let's go check this out anyway. Humor me. So they go to their robotics lab, their, their, uh, their synthetic organism, whatever research lab that has been shut down basically since the Mars attack. And she's like, yeah, you're, you're really wrong about this. And so she shows him the remains of B4, which was the, you know, the prototype before Data that they found in Nemesis. And uh, he's been locked up there. She's like, yeah, Data put his memories and his neural net into B4 and it really didn't take. So, uh, you know, there were profound things wrong with B4. He really was nothing like Data. And so, you know, basically the secret to a, a positronic, functioning android died with data and so they kind of lament that and we find out that agnes was recruited by bruce maddox now bruce maddox you may remember was the person from way back in the episode measure of a man who put data on trial to determine that he was property because he wanted to take him and he wanted to study him and he wanted to make more of him so Data won his case, but Bruce Maddox continued his his robotics uh, yeah, android research. And so we uh, we also come to discover that he was close to a breakthrough. And he also had this this crazy theory that even though he couldn't build another sophisticated android like Data without Data, he had this theory about some technobabble, a uh, fractal neuronic cloning process wherein data's entire neural net could theoretically be reproduced from a single neuron, which I mean, seems awfully convenient to me, but I guess they needed to have a show. And uh, so <laughs> not only that, but if such a thing were to be implemented, they would be twins for some reason. <laughs> so Picard comes to the realization that there is another Dodge out there somewhere. Uh, she had a twin sister because Bruce Maddox, he supposes, created them and had a breakthrough. So finally, our last scene of the episode, we go to a Romulan reclamation site wherein uh, a, a ship that actually kind of resembles a Klingon bird of prey, although it's distinctly Romulan, it's flat and it's angular. And, you know, you get the impression it's Romulan, but there are similarities there. Flies into a facility. And this guy, Narek, meets Soji Asher. Soji Asher, by the way, looks exactly like Dash. She is the twin. We find out she knows she has a sister. She has the same necklace. Her father gave it to them. And we find out that she fixes broken people, like Narek, who also uh, had a sibling. He had a brother who was lost within the last year. They were very close. It's very much setting something, you know, shady up. 
and they kind of end by flirting and we zoom out from the facility to see that it is in fact a damaged Borg cube. Bum, bum, bum. And then we go to credits. Well, actually, no. Then we go to this season on Star Trek Picard. But honestly, I didn't see very much in that that I didn't already see in all the trailers. So if you've seen those, you basically know what's going to happen from that. So that was the first episode. It was a lot to cover. It was very exciting. There's a lot of plot threads that I, I can't wait for them to pull on and explore for the second episode. So I, you know, I, 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 I don't know, James, what do you think? I, I did a lot of talking there. What do you think based on, you know, what I've said, where we might go? Analysis. It's well set up and definitely there's enough there to keep it interesting and keep us guessing. So like we were alluding to, I like the fact that because as a sci-fi fan, I like the Blade Runner part of it. I'm curious to see what's going on with Data or Lore or B4 or whatever and, and the whole repercussions with that. And uh, Greg Maddox uh uh, ancestor and all that so that's all really <laughs> very interesting i hope he could pitch or she could pitch as well as greg but it's good plot lines it's making sense it's something that i want to hear more about and i'm enjoying vintage picard and the ready room as well so looking forward to the next episode of vintage picard i don't mind you talking up the ready room but i, I feel like you may be promoting another piece of uh review media <laughs> For this show yeah. more than this you're more interested in will wheaton's show than ours well no i'm, I'm more, more interested in this podcast i'm less interested in dealing with an app where you still have to deal with commercials and so on and so forth so uh, that's just my little two cents he is better connected than us i will admit that yes but yeah i mean i was i was wrong about some stuff and uh i can own up to that and i'm excited to know where we go from here because one other criticism not a real criticism just one thing i will say i don't know that they needed to make this like their secret twins or you know i mean maybe they needed it for the romulan plot line i don't know where they're going with that but to introduce this character and then immediately kill her off or at least seemingly so, seems really weird to me. And the whole, well, they just happen to be created as twins because that's how it works. Like, that seems really random and very, very plot convenient. So, you know, we'll see. But, you know, I'm okay. I'm willing, I'm willing to go with it and suspend my disbelief and just go on the journey. So I'm really very, very looking forward to uh, episode two. So... That'll be next week. So I guess that's going to do it for our coverage of this episode. It, it seemed very much set up. There's a lot of questions and not a lot of answers to necessarily speculate on now. Although if you have a theory, we want to hear it. Please email us at vintagepicard at gmail.com. Tweet at us, Instagram, Facebook. We are Vintage Picard. We want to hear from you. We want to hear your theories. We want to hear what you think is going on. We want to hear your feedback. So, you know, reach out to us. We want you to subscribe to this podcast. We're just about everywhere. And if we're not there yet, we're working on it. So we want you to subscribe. Please subscribe to this podcast. Tell your friends if you like us. Tell us uh, if, if, if there's something that you'd like to see us do, a feature that you'd like to see us add to the podcast. We're open to that too. So please, you know, shout at us and we can all make this a better show together. But in the meantime, I will, I will bid you a fond adieu on behalf of myself and uh, my crewmate here, James. I think uh, we, we will see you next time 
for the next exciting episode covering Star Trek Picard, the next exciting episode, hopefully, of Vintage Picard. So until then, thanks, everybody. Boom, 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 boom. And we're back. I, um, did you, did you say your name? Did I say my, I think I did. I don't remember. <laughs> say it again, <laughs> just in case. I'll do it. I'll start from scratch. As you were, Mr. Rhino.